Was it hot over here yesterday? You know we had to travel two states just to get here. Good time to preach on hell.
prayer of Daniel that said, Hear our prayers, O Lord, and our supplications, and for your own sake, cause your face to shine on our sanctuary, because we are desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear, open, our, open your eyes and see our desolation and our country. Our country, which is a Christian country, it's called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and ask. We pray you do not delay. For your own sake, in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody says, Take my watch off. It's not only until time, but it has a calendar. Mm -hmm. I am a, a bit nostalgic. We've been here about eight years, and at our next birthday, Martha and I will be 80. That's old. <laughs> you know, you spend your whole life getting old and then suddenly you realize you've arrived. We're old in the morning and we're old at night. We're just old. Uh, every time I preach now, I think this may be the last time I ever get to preach. So I'm preaching to you today out of love and appreciation and recognition that this might just very well be my last opportunity to speak in this pulpit or in any pulpit because of age and other other problems that come along with turning 80 at our next birthday. Um, matter of fact, I look so old, I recently went, once and I went to some plastic surgery. And uh, wanted to see if we could do something about the way I look. And he looked at me and shook his head. He looked at Martha and said, well, she looks fine. And uh, he looked at me and he said, well, Mr. Bethel, what, what can I do for you? And I said, sir, well, just, I don't know. You're the plastic surgeon. Just do me justice. He said, Mr., you don't need justice. You need mercy. <laughs> You need mercy. Because that's what we all need. We need mercy. By way of introduction, do you realize that the if you look at Ray's weather this week, you know the answer. The great leaf skeletonizer moth. Anybody spend a lot of time studying the great leaf skeletonizer moth? Its average lifespan is two days. Two days. They tell me, even though I've never measured it, that an elephant lives from 70 to 120 years or more. 
986 plus years. Moses only lived 120 years. How much time do you have? I'm asking you today to think seriously about how much time do you have left? Because it's a, it's a real big question in my mind when you're on stage. And you've got children, a child and grandchildren, one of them's here today. You've got a wife. You've got a church family. you spent most of your adult life trying to preach the word and convince people that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There ain't no other way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. But how much time, how much time do we have with? A couple of things I want you to remember today, and I jotted down. Thank you so much for catching the Sunday school class this morning on subversion, perversion, and diversion from the Word. Because the world has all kinds of things that they can tell you about this, that, and the other, but the only truth is in the Bible, and the truth is not a concept, the truth is a person. The truth is a person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, it takes a happening to make a history. You cannot have a history without a happening. But the man said when you work first discovered the Grand Canyon. He walked up to the edge very slowly and he looked over down in there and he said, wow, something done happened here. <laughs> it takes a happening to create a history. It takes an experience to lead to a potential for learning from that experience. You can beat your head over the with a hammer all day long, but unless you realize from whence comes the source of your pain, you've learned nothing. You just experience the pain. Life is about life in this world is about injustice and pain and suffering, and that's what Habakkuk addressed. Habakkuk was like you and me. He was a nobody from nowhere. In the eyes of the world, nobody knows who we are. Worldwide. We may have friends on the other side of the world. We got a couple today on the other side of the world. But generally, none of us are famous people. And if we were, it wouldn't matter. We're just ordinary folks, except the ones who Jesus came to live and die for. Now, Habakkuk, his little book is short. His name means to embrace or an embracer. It actually comes from the thought that he, he, he grabbed God so hard that he embraced him and wrestled with him, trying to, to get a question, to get a question answered. The question was, why, Lord, is there so much injustice today and you're doing nothing? Nothing is happening. Except more injustice. Except more promiscuity, more perversion, more thievery, more robbery, more assault. 
more stupid politicians. For God's sake, say amen. Jump up those steps like I did once. 
reason, and Habakkuk cries out to God for justice, for justice that was delayed. Where, why do bad things happen to, to good, to supposedly good people? Why do they continue to? Why do they continue to happen? Why do they get worse? Habakkuk 2.20 says, God is right where He is supposed to be doing what He is supposed to be doing. He is correcting us. People say, are we going to go through the, through the tribulation? I want to tell you, we're in a tribulation right now. One of these days, there's going to be something called a rapture. Sometimes we're going to be ruptured. Because you're going to be left behind. I'm going to be raptured. Now we're going to miss the great tribulation, but there is a great turmoil in the world today, and nothing can fix it but the power and the hand of God. I don't care how smart you are, how many degrees you have, no matter who your grandpa was, or how much land you own, or how much money you have, no matter what, nothing can fix your problem except the power of God. Those of us who stand on this side of the pulpit and plead with people to get right with God know that when people do get right with God, it's not because of words, enticing words, and, and wonderful sounding phrases, and even jokes. It's because of the power of God dealing with somebody in their heart, convincing them that without the Lord, they're lost. Lost. God is right where He is supposed to be. My watch tends to run a little fast. Go back to 2 4 and Romans 1 17 says, The just shall live by faith. God said that to Habakkuk and He wrote it down and later on. Paul wrote it in the church in Rome. It's recorded in verse, chapter 1, verse 17. And then later on, Martin Luther read. Martin Luther was a member of the Catholic Church. I talked to somebody recently and thought we'd always had Baptists. Bible, Bible times, we'd always had Baptists. We, we've only had Baptists since 1612. Martin Luther tended to, wanted to reform the Catholic Church. It all started when, when the, the, the Pope in, the, in, in uh, Rome declared everybody a Christian. Just automatically. Just like it did with me when I was 12 years old in the Quaker church. And the preacher came to me and said, Tommy, you're 12 years old. Baptist. Lord, in Baptist, they would wear the 
is off the church door. <laughs> so I grew up a Quaker. I married a Baptist and later became a Christian. And later, much later, many, many years later, God called me to preach. And I went to seminary. And somehow or another, after 46 years and 20 days, I've been preaching. That should make me about 130. <laughs> Is your life a life that is defined by how long you live or by what God had in mind? In Deuteronomy 34, it says that when Moses died at age 120, he was neither hard of hearing or dull, and he was dull of hearing, and he wasn't incapable of doing stuff. The point is, is that you're in this world, you're going to live until God's through with you. Now, indirectly, that tells me the older I become, the older I get, the longer I live, the more that reminds me that God is still fixing something in me. God will not let you die. You heard it from this pulpit. God will not let you die unless it is at the hands of somebody, some misfortune. But even then, I doubt that. God will not let you die until He is finished with you. Every life is precious. Every life has a purpose. Every life has a plan. Everybody is important. There are no unimportant people. Maybe a few ugly, but not unimportant. We used to sing Sunday school, red and yellow, black and white, they're precious in the sight. Jesus loved the little children of the world. Y'all ever do that? So at 120, God was through with Moses and he died. They don't even know where he was buried. The people mourned for 30 days. But back in 2, 2 through chapter 2, verse 3 says, all depends on who you are listening to and what you are allowing him to do in your life. Chapter 3, verse 18 says, the joy of the Lord, for the joy of the Lord is my strength, it says in another place in the Bible. Now, if you received one of these when you came in, or after you came in, quickly I want to, as quickly as I can, I want to speak to these vows that we as Christians, I'm calling on you as a Christian, to make these vows in the middle of hard times, unprecedented difficult times, unprecedented times when people throw rocks at police cars, when it's not safe to be a police officer who's wearing a bulletproof vest, when it's not safe to run your own store because somebody will come in and hit you in the head and break the glass and steal everything in there and then you just walk out with it. When it's not safe to even put I love Jesus or an NRA sticker on your car because somebody will come by and break the glass. The world is in a mess. The world is in a mess. The world is in a mess. Amen. Amen. These vows are to remember the character of God. Number one, his, his character is righteousness. He demands righteousness. 
Thank God he does not demand good looks. God demands right. The Old Testament is about sin and judgment. The New Testament is about sin and salvation. Now I wish I had two or three hours to give you everything that I have prepared for you. I left half of it at home. To go into detail, number two, to be attentive and to listen for a response from God. God always answers. There'll never be a time when you sincerely ask God a question that He will not answer you. It may not be the answer you don't want. But the Bible says to seek me, when you seek me, seek me with all your heart. I will answer you. I prayed a long time about this man. I never preached on it. I never even met for that. We didn't, in Old Testament surveys in seminary, we didn't even get to the Bible. We got hung up in Jeremiah. We never even finished the Old Testament. I had to go there and introduce myself. Hello, Habakkuk, I'm Tom. Tell me about yourself. What are you going to say to the people at Midway? Because I had prayed and I said, God, give me something for me first. Do something in me so that it will overflow into them. And he listened to me answered. He sent me to the back of all places. Number three, call out to God for the power and glory. That power and glory is expressed supremely, supremely in grace to us. Grace. Now listen. I don't want to get out of the camera here. Grace. Grace. Grace is defined as the fact that God gives you a choice. That's His grace. You're not saved by grace. You're saved by faith. Grace means God says you can either choose me and live or you can not choose me and you'll die. But if you choose me, you have to believe me by faith. Because you won't understand why bad things happen to good people. That's how it always happens. That's how it always gets. It'll always be that you are. He is expressed to us supremely by grace and in Jesus Christ. Number four, believe in a better day. In despite God's direction and what we suffer for His purposes. Because we are not in control. We are not in control. That was hard to learn as a young pastor. My first church, I was there 27 years. And I didn't know Deuteronomy from Deuteronomy. We have to learn that we're not in control. We learn that we give ourselves to Him. And He gives us gifts that we can use for His glory because we don't know how much time we have. Never how much time we have if we don't use it for Him. We've wasted our life. And if you don't know Jesus, you'll go to hell. You do that through prayer and fasting and by righteousness living by faith. The only 
Number five is determined to live a life of joy because of the rewards of the faithful. The last thing, number four, that I didn't mention is to look ahead to the future. Heaven waits. It's going to get better than this. I got a brand new body. You wait to see my new body. I won't be afraid to wear short britches. When I was a kid and I wore short britches to school, they laughed at me and said, You look like a mockingbird standing in two shotgun shells. How many of you know when you're in the third grade that's rather intimidating? When the girls come on off and laugh and they look at you and point, that makes you want to go to the bathroom and throw up. And you can't because you miss breakfast. Number five, determined to live a life of joy because of the rewards of the faithful. <laughs> it's going to get better. It's going to get better. You cut yourself, you clean it with water, but you disinfect it with something. It hurts, it hurts. But it's going to get better. The heart is deceitful and wicked. The only thing that makes it better is the blood of Jesus. That's for this world and for the world to come. The best is yet to come. So I ask you, what have you done this time this giving? Quickly. Think about creation. Drop turn your paper over and drop this down. Think about creation from the beginning of sin. I gotta go fast. So y'all be quiet in a while. Creation began of sin. Abraham, the father of the father of the Jews, father of the Jews, the the, uh, the Arabs and, and, and the Christians. But the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. God said, I'll bring a great nation from you. And from that we had we had Isaac and Jacob. And one of Jacob's sons was Joseph, a family tree. That ended up in captivity in Egypt because of sin and wrongdoing. What I'm trying to get you to see here is that in the Old Testament, the picture is a picture of God blessing His people. They are blessed. They take that blessing and they lead it, they use it to lead them into sin. And then God has no choice but to bring destruction and correction. We are living today in an age of instruction if you will receive it and correction, you have no option. Now don't leave here just because China's buying wheat fields in Nebraska. Don't leave here today saying that I said the world's going to come to an end and somebody from lower South America is going to take over North America and we're going to all have rings in our noses and be led around. I don't, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that God's in control. Things are bad. Look, I remember when a cent was three cents. A postcard was a penny. Gas was 18 cents a gallon. We gave it for three dollars. A dollar for the drive-in, a dollar for the gas, and a dollar of Jim's grill. Then I took her home because her perfume went off the ground. Moses, giver of the law. When he was gone, Joshua, a new leader for God's people, new blessings, all kinds of blessings. The only way to rule God's people 
judges, they couldn't get along. They fought among themselves and outsiders fought them. They decided they wanted a king. They looked for a guy that used head and shoulders shampoo. Somebody that was, that was better looking than anybody. So they picked Saul. It says he was a head and shoulders taller than anybody else. They picked Saul. They picked, they picked a picture of the world to leave them. His time ends in disaster. His son is David. David's anointed as a boy. He grows up to build a great kingdom. But he falls into sin. He has a bad habit of walking on the balcony late at night. While Bathsheba's lost her curtain that goes around her bathtub. God has no choice but to bring judgment. We get Solomon, the same thing happens. 700 wives and 300 concubines. You've heard me say this so many times. With that many wives and that many concubines, what does the man eat for breakfast? And what does he do with that many mothers in the hall? Can you imagine the different dress shop every day? That leads to the divided kingdom, and that's the judgment on all of Israel, which was once known as all of Israel, and then it's divided. After Solomon, Rehoboam took the southern kingdom, Jeroboam once first took the northern kingdom, the Assyrians later took them over because they fell into idolatry, that's where Ahab and Jezebel were. They, they adopted all kinds of wild practices of religion. They worshipped Baal, and God had no choice but to destroy them. And when they disappeared, they part of them carried off from Assyria. The rest of them intermarried. That's what gave us Samaria. The people in the south thought they were better than the ones in Samaria because they were intermingled with the, uh, the non-Jews. And they wouldn't go through Samaria because they were prejudiced against them. But it was all God's judgment. And then Judah did the same thing. The same country that conquered Assyria conquered Judah, the southern kingdom. And there we have right in the middle of that Habakkuk saying, God, how much more can we take? Time to read them. If you could talk to God face to face, what would you ask? People say all the time, this is not fair. No, it's not fair. It's the world we live in. It's a fallen world. That's why we must never forget. Verse 4 says that the righteous live by faith. Don't you love it when I turn pages fast and you have to keep me still? But I ain't through. Habakkuk was a prophet who dared to ask God hard questions. Why don't you punish the wicked? You know, when I see somebody breaking a glass and a sword and 
walking out with somebody's goods and not paying for it, or, or somebody pushing an old lady down or an old man down. The flesh in me gives me a new meaning to the use of ball bats. They need their brains to be there. And then they go to court, and the court turns them loose. I heard the other day that there are one million evangelicals in America, and half of them are not even registered to vote. Don't you ever, unless you want a, a verbal fight, don't you ever tell me that Christians shouldn't get involved in politics. Everything in the Bible is about God's people trying to change the corruption of the government around them. And there's no such thing as the separation of church and state. We have it in the Constitution that the state will have no influence on the church. The church is supposed to influence the state. Israel was gone and never returned until 1948. 
Habakkuk complained to the Lord. How long must I call for help and you do not listen? The law was paralyzed and justice never prevailed. God responded by telling him, Watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. Then God laid out the destruction that would soon come at the hands of the Babylonians. Bad news indeed, but Habakkuk's response illustrated what God spoke to him, that the righteous will live by faith. Chapter 2, verse 4. Through a series of statements that started with the words, I will. Well, I have a, instead of I will, I put vow on the sheet that you have. Not quickly, but very quickly. Now, I've got a video, I've got about a three minute video at the very end. I hope you can stay serious. Because if, if you're human and you have any emotions, it's going to clean your flat. And I'm just about to. You won't be able to write these down and say, but I want to say them. If you really want them, I'll give them to you later. Three things in life that once they are gone, they can never come back again. Think about that every time I walk up my dirt room, I lift the creek and the water goes by. And it's headed to New Orleans. It's a little Helen Creek in Rugby, Virginia. It's headed to New Orleans. The only way it'll come back is if it evaporates and if it falls right there. Three things in life that once they're gone, they're gone forever. One is a moment in time, two is our words spoken, number three is an opportunity. I'm working towards, Lord, did I do what I could do with the life you gave Three things that, you, that, cannot, that can destroy a person. And one is anger, two is pride, three is unforgiveness. Three things in life that you should never lose. You should never lose hope, peace, and honesty. Three things in life most valuable are love, family, and friends, and kindness. Kill them with kindness. Three things in life that are never certain. One is your fortune. Second one is success. Third one are your dreams. Three things that help make a person make a personal Three things that help make a person be a person. Number one, a Christian person. One is commitment, sincerity, dedication, followed by action, called hard work. You see, you don't get much out of church if all you do is come and listen and leave. You might get a little tickle in Those 27 and a half years out in that church in Raleigh, there were people that were in that church all that time, and not one time, not one, did they ever come to the altar. Not a single time. Three persons that are always
Because you said, call me and I'll show you free by the things. Find a single honest person in the Bible who is firm by heaven. I don't think you can find one. God never turned away a genuine heart. Thomas came with his doubts. Jesus didn't turn him away. He said, look. The woman at the well in Samaria where outcasts live. Why are you talking to me, a woman from Samaria? He didn't turn her away. Moses had reservations. God didn't tell him to go away. Paul lived through hard times. He was never abandoned. Habakkuk had questions. Lord, how long must I ask? And God told him. He told him that he put up the evil people. I love him. What are you doing in your life?
these when it won't even face me If I did all I could do in the time that you gave me If I did all I could do in the time that you gave me Like a deer that does not 